Hello, friends! Welcome to episode 95 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? Uh, yeah. Yeah, all right. <laughs> it's, it was, it's been kind of a bad sleep week for me. I don't, I, I don't know what it, I think, guess I'm just getting old. It's 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 the getting old thing. It's the weather. It's the getting old. It's you know weather here in uh, uh, eastern Michigan went from uh, single digit temps. That's Fahrenheit, so that'd be uh, it, well well into the negative teens Celsius. Yes. Uh, to uh, what it hit fifty today? Yeah. Yeah. I think which is um, a little colder than room temperature. I don't know what that converts to in Celsius, but yeah. Uh, but it, it almost spring-like weather. Almost, almost. almost spring-like we, we lost a lot of the snow, but at the same time, it meant a lot of humidity, a yeah. lot of things like decomposing, which always messes with the sinuses. I mean, it's just yeah, it's the, the the pressure change and all that. My joints were just aching. Yeah, that's yeah. that's basically where it was last night. I did not sleep well because of my joints. Yeah, yeah, I now know what it's like to live in full plate armor through Oof. feeling. I, I, I've had that discussion with people who have fallen asleep in full plate at, mm-hmm. like, Penzik for the SCA. Yeah, yeah. And waking up and basically, like, you are now, one, A, with your armor, and B, all of your joints hurt. Because oh. everything's weighted. Everything, you, yeah. you, you know, you're just heavier. I can and, imagine. I can imagine. And it's, it's not something your body is ready for. Nope. So. Nope. Anywho. And, uh, because of the warmer temperatures, my cat came to bed for the first time oh. in a while. She she abandoned the heated bed that you bought her, so that's why I never see her anymore. Well, I'm a I'm a good uncle? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, she finally she finally slept down at my feet, which um, I'd kind of start just started getting used to not having the cat encumbering my sleep. And then all of a sudden, she was just tangled up in my legs all night. So oh. yeah, at so. the same time, sweetness. Yep, at the same time, sweetness. So. So, speaking of little things. Yeah. <laughs> all all the little things. All the small things. And that's what we're here to talk about tonight. Yeah. Um, uh, so, there's uh, a lot of little fiddly micromanagement in pretty much most games. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of the lighter, the lighter um, uh, stuff. Rules like, lighter, uh, yeah. R- rules lighter stuff, like, I think, like, you know, uh, part by the Apocalypse, um... Uh, yeah. Even maybe even like Savage Worlds and stuff that doesn't really. Have well, a Savage lot World of, doesn't have it. Um, a lot of the fiddly little like you know ammo counts and uh, you know Mouse Guard doesn't have that. Stuff. Yeah. I mean, it has other things that are small, but not it. it it's not the true little bits, right? And but but there's there's always kind of that looming question um, in, when you're when you're running a game is uh, I mean it's it's all right there in the rules, but how much do you really pay attention to it? And if you do, how much does it bog down gameplay? Does it bog down gameplay in a um, in a way that uh, is worth the trade off in that it adds to the storytelling? Mm-hmm. You know. Um, also, like, who enjoys that? Yeah. Like, where is enjoyment, and do we do some people just miss it? Or, or are you know, or the, the big, the big question are things like encumbrance and you know strict ammo counts and you know strict keeping track of your spell components and your rations and mm-hmm. all that jazz. Is that just passe? Is that just is that just part of a bygone yeah. era that has no place in tabletop anymore? You know, in the current current era of of, of RP. You know. Yeah. But uh, we're we're here to basically talk about all that tonight. Yeah. And and the more we looked at this discussion, I think the more we recognized that there isn't a lot of minutia to talk about in it, but there is a lot of experience mm-hmm. and a lot of social design that comes around with it that's that's very broad. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm going to have to say that I, I will start this discussion off by saying, I, by the end of this, I will not have said whether it is good or bad. Because I don't think that's the important part. It's understanding what it is and what makes it enjoyable and what can make it not so enjoyable for certain player types. I would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think that's it's, it's, if we're gonna if we're gonna lead with our thesis statement. Yes. Uh, I definitely think that's the conclusion we're going to come to tonight. After, after I like letting people know where we're going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is is that really there is no there's there's no right or wrong answer to this. Yeah. Um. It depends on your table. It depends on your players. Depends on the type of story that you're trying to tell. And there absolutely is a place for micromanaging all those little bits of minutia. But you have to make sure that you've got the right players for it. You're telling that that it fits with the story in exactly. The game, um. And that everybody's having fun. And we're not just talking about. D&D, keep that in mind. We are talking about all game systems that do this, and some do it mechanically very well. Oh, yeah. The build-up, yeah, yeah. and uh, and the thing was is that when we were talking about getting into this, one of the things you had brought up was I had made a note about layered armor. Mm-hmm. And you're like, D&D doesn't deal with layered yeah, armor. Yeah, that's not even a thing in D&D, dude. And he's yeah. like, yeah, but it is in Shadowrun. It is. And I was like, hey, okay, Shadowrun. I mean, there's, there's a lot of other <laughs> systems that deal with that. I mean, some systems have reloading mechanics, uh-huh. where you literally have to keep track of not only how you're reloading, but what rounds you're physically doing the act. Oh, God, that was the moment I realized I hated GURPS. Yeah. It was when I was reading the combat rules, and it's like, okay, every turn is a second, and this this thing takes three seconds to bring back around a bear. Right. And I'm like, so you mean to say I'm for three turns, I'm going to be, I'm reloading, that's my turn. Yeah. Next. Yeah. Like, oh. Yeah. I don't know if I can do that, guys. Right. And and again, that's that's exactly what we're talking about, is that feeling of... Does that detract from the story? And we don't necessarily want to say you're using the wrong system, but maybe you're not having to use all the components of that system. And yeah, I know yeah. I don't use the components of all the systems that I yeah. play with. I sure as heck do not run D&D by the book. Oh, oh no, absolutely not. And and I, I think – I mean I, I would go as far as, as to conjecture that if you ran a, any game explicitly by the book, it it wouldn't – it would get in the way of the fun. You know, mm-hmm. I think I think some of the some of the some of the cooler moments you get in your tabletop games are when you hand wave stuff as a storyteller and say, OK, rule rule of cool. We're just going to do this or, you know, for the sake of expediency, like we you don't have to go through four more rounds of combat chopping down the seven hit point skeletons. Like exactly. You've displayed through the through the fight. You can do it in one hit. Right. You you kill all the skeletons and we're done and we're moving on, you know? Right. But when we're talking about this kind of stuff, we're also, we're talking about the, the minor things that are detailed and are part of the standard rule set in a lot of games. Um, and what it really means to throw that in. And I think the, the word that comes around and you, you brought it back up in that is bringing things back to realism, gritty realism. Yep. Yep. And, what it actually means. I, I, I like your description of it. I've always liked your description of it. So I, yeah, I, I, I was saying in our in our in our show discussion here that you you can't talk about the minutia and stuff like that without talking about gritty realism because it's really what it comes down to. I agree. Um, and it, what it is, it's taking all the little things into account is the point of the story in a gritty realistic story. Um, it's. I mean, some some people will 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 say that it has like a, a you know a grim dark aspect to it, but I I don't think I don't think no. that's necessary. I don't think the mood of the story is dictated by the term gritty realism, but it's just the 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 idea is that every narration, every role, every rule that you use is with the idea that you are trying to represent reality as closely as possible 
in your gameplay. Right. In your officiation. Right. Um, typically, this means that there's going to be a lot of man versus environment encounters. Yeah. Um, so basically survival. Yeah. You know, um, where the world itself is a foe you must conquer. Mm-hmm. Because we, you know, as, as adventurers, especially in like, you know, games like D&D, you just, you just kind of take, you know, hey, we're, we're professional adventurers, you know? Mm-hmm. We, we have things like tents and bed rolls and stuff of like that, but like... How many of you out there have really actually gone camping in the wilderness? Mm-hmm. You know, you wake up hurting the next day because you're not on a fluffy bed with a fluffy pillow. You're mm-hmm. on the ground. There might have been sticks and rocks underneath you. You know, you don't have adequate padding. Your tent might have been slanted. It might have rained overnight and you get some flood water. You know, it flooded a little bit because your tent leaked. Mm-hmm. All sorts of awful stuff. I did a lot of camping in my youth. Oh, yeah. And uh, you know, it's just a single night out in the wilderness. Can you imagine like your characters doing this night after night after night after night mm-hmm. on the road? You know, yeah. Yeah. it takes, it takes a toll. You get wet socks, yeah. you know, like there's no wet sock rule in, in D and D, you know, likewise, if you're, you know, constantly flying in your space fighter in your cockpit position, because there is no other movement, you're not in like a freighter or something, mm-hmm. your butt is stuck like swamp butt to that seat for hours oh, yeah. of combat and now you're going to go into a stressful combat situation and you know dive dive and roll around asteroids you aren't ready for that fight yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. you are sore you are cranky you probably have to go to the bathroom <laughs> J- joking aside though um yeah. the i mean is swamp butt's not your biggest your biggest concern but no. usually usually though it's stuff like all the seemingly seemingly insignificant things that could actually kill you like yeah. being caught in a blizzard oh yeah um running out of ammo in the middle of an otherwise easy fight yep you know it's all these little things that start coming into play in mm-hmm. a gritty realism thing yeah. so a minor scuffle with thugs if you've only got seven bullets now suddenly becomes yeah complicated it's john wick you yeah. know now i've got to make a gun and find a bullet for it to kill the one well, guy you know maybe you've got to kill one and then confiscate his gun and now yes. you've got 13 bullets because right. he had seven and you used one to kill him exactly you know exactly so and that that level of realism is not just dramatic and but it's stressful mm-hmm. it brings reality into scope and I'm sorry, but sometimes reality is a little too much for me on a day-to-day basis, which is why I like playing a role-playing game. The last thing I want to do is be in a role-playing game wanting to play a role-playing game <laughs> to get out of the realism. Yeah. And I and I think I think that's that's actually very clear like in in both of our storytelling styles. Like yeah. you you tend for like the the very high fantasy, high adventure, very cinematic, yeah. um, you know, sort of thing and and with with a lot of like um uh, heroics mm-hmm. into them and stuff like that, and and I and I love that. I mm-hmm. love that. But yeah, gritty realism is like the antithesis of what you try to do. I try to tell a little more grounded stories. Yeah. Um, but not gritty. That, but but not gritty. Like, no, absolutely not gritty. But like like grounded heroics. Yeah. You know, not not to the level of theatrics you do, but more like bread and butter theatrics. You know. Sure. Like, sure. Yeah. Um. And and so uh, tr- traditional heroism. Yeah. Maybe. Um. But yeah, like I, I, I think that's, that's important to keep in mind is like not everybody is, not everybody's a, not everybody's a fan. Yeah, you know? I mean, how far do you suspend the disbelief? Yeah, and that's really what we're kind of framing this as is that you can go pretty detailed, and some people go really, really detailed. I mean, I, I walked into a game where I had individuals who were, um, already being realistic about playing D anD. d Mm-hmm. And uh, as a new player stepping in, I found it very 
kind of challenging because now these people are talking about components they're talking about ammo they're talking about uh how much rations they have yeah. on on a beginning basis of every game yeah yeah and it's like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. What, what, what do you mean like i should have checked my pack at the door kind of a thing right is should i should i have spreadsheets for this yeah and yeah. and it was it was harsh, but at the same time, the DM wasn't pushing it. Mm-hmm. It was just the way the players were playing the game. Yeah, and they were enjoying it. They mm-hmm. they were all about spreadsheets the game. And I was just like, okay, that's that's great, but it wasn't necessarily for me. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't keep up with that level of it. It didn't ruin the moment, but it was definitely like some of the players just like, "Ooh, dude, I I think you know we don't have a chance for firewood because it's raining out right now. Uh, can you use a spell?" Well, if I use a spell slot, you know, blah, blah. And this is before, you know, cantrips of all. Right, right, right. You know, right, so yeah. now you've got, you know, ooh, do I use a spell slot to, to start the fire, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a situation? Or do I use good berries because we're out of rations? Yeah. You know, kind yeah. of a situation. And it was like, ooh, shit, you know? Right. And I, and I can imagine someone like you who, you know, who does have a, a very uh, theatric cinematic sort of sort of taste for, for storytelling. You know, you don't want to do the day-to-day grind. You know, your 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 whole thing is you... you want to escape to a fantasy realm yeah. where your problems are dragons and wizards and evil megacorps yeah. and not food and shelter and evil megacorps. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Exactly. I like how evil megacorps are in both of those. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But there is, there's a lot of good things that you can put together in using a realistic frame, not necessarily full grit, yeah. but adding that, you know, having a survival game where some things are, are a matter of surviving, that there are resources that you have to contend with, not mm-hmm. necessarily at the same level, but like, I think that, um, uh, mouse guard does a nice job of adding a blend of realism into it where you weather affects your area and like mm-hmm. now what may have been just a little bit of a stream is suddenly now a raging torrent you know many mouse wide and that... an inch deep and like a foot across right which like is a raging river right which is tragic for any mouse to try yeah. and cross but at the same time like that's terrifying it is it is terrifying and like uh, i uh just you know our our, our storyteller for uh um uh for our mascar game you know putting in like birds yeah just birds. We were we were carrying a bunch of rations with us, so we had food, and the birds were like, "Hey, food! That smells like a bunch of seeds and berries. It's spring. I'm hungry. Yeah, I'm a bird. Yeah, and yeah. you look like you're bringing around food. And they're not enemies. There's no malice there. It's no, just, you know, it's just an environmental thing. It's just yeah. a reality of being on the trail as a mouse. You yeah. know? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so. And, and I, I think that's probably the important takeaway is that there's there's uh, degrees to it, mm-hmm. you know, like you don't you know, you never go full gritty realism, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, um, and, and maybe you do if you yeah. have the right table for it and you're mm-hmm. telling that type of story. But, you know, maybe it's a Mad Max style story, you know, I mean, post-apocalyptic thrives with gritty, gritty realism. Exactly. We're, we're literally, if you find a box of bullets, that's serious. Mm-hmm. You literally have a super weapon. Oh, yeah. We can go to war, guys. I found two clips for this submachine gun. Right. Oh, we also find a canister, a half a canister of fuel. Mm-hmm. Holy Lord. One of those vehicles may start with this. Four tins of beans we are eating tonight. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and, and those kind of things can change the dramatic level, can create a lot of joy. You know, because you have set the world to have a flavor, and then that realism, that bit of gritty realism, suddenly now adds a sense of enjoyment 
and success that mm-hmm. wasn't there before. Yeah. And I, I think that that probably leads us into our next part here is that, you know, when when is it important? What where where are those spots in your story where you really do want to grab for the realism? And I think that there, it, there's – outside of post-apocalyptic settings – I mean, obviously, post-apocalyptic settings are kind of kind of built around this style of, of gameplay. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, just so much more than that, even just in your, your regular D&D or your Shadowrun or whatever other game you're playing, mm-hmm. there is a lot of untapped drama just existing in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it shows in, like, you know, fans of, you know, whatever your opinion of this person is, uh, you know, the fans of, like, Bear Grylls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man versus Wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, movies like Mad Max and stuff like that. I mean, think about Mad Max. The hot resource in contention there was water. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. They, they had a source of water. Mm-hmm. And everybody wanted to kill each other over it. Mm-hmm. Boom. Mm-hmm. You know? Whole society was built around that, mm-hmm. and it's just a basic necessity. You know, it's it's scarcity at its finest. Um, your environmental and and survival complications are are going to be very down to earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's that's another really important thing. Uh, like you know me, like I kind of get lost in the high concept stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I mentally I find it hard to track. Um, that's a me thing, not a you thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. I actually like survival sort of stuff like this mm-hmm. because it's very easy for me to relate to. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand being out of food. I understand needing shelter, mm-hmm. needing firewood, like you said earlier. Yeah. Basic resource management: should we or should we not use a spell slot? Yeah, on our this? hierarchy. You know, yeah, things like that. A little you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Exactly. You, you, literally, Ap- you remove one of those, and things change. Applied to the to the D and D game, and, exactly. and to me, it adds it adds an element of strategy that I have to kind of play it around. You know, I mean, it can be very difficult to describe the sheer enormity and presence of a dragon, but. It doesn't really take that much to describe being so cold you can't stop shaking. Exactly. Because I think we've all kind of been there, mm-hmm. at least at least once or at least close, you know? Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, you have to be aware of the people at your table. You have mm-hmm. to be aware of the boundaries that that kind of level of stress gets to them and gets into their mind because it gets them a little too close to their own reality. Yeah, yeah, sure, 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 sure. And, and, and of course... Just with everything else, I mean, literally every aspect of your story should be a conversation, mm-hmm. you know, and, and this is really no different. Obviously, getting close to gritty realism and introducing things like starvation and mm-hmm. possibly, you know, aspects of homelessness and, yeah. uh, you know, things like that can, can can hit on some some points for people. Yeah, I think any time that you're going to be bringing in minutia and start working with things like encumbrance, uh, you know, stress, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it be physical or environmental or uh, addressing food or th- hunger and things like that, that A, just like a, the video games do now, is that A, you discuss it to see if that's a setting that your players want to have in the game. Yeah. If it's something yeah. they're willing to accept for the style of gameplay. Because when you, when you list out... A story and you're like, okay, uh, all of you are coming from well-fed, well-air, you know, a decent area, but the king has asked you to go into the Badlands. This is an area that no one travels to due to the desolation and lack of water that is there. You know, roaming pirates, you know, work across this wasteland, taking up anyone who attempts to travel across it, which lends to a very bleak existence. 
do you guys mind if we start including things like encumbrance and ammo and scarcity in the game, which may include surviving without rations Mm -hmm. and causing, you know, endurance issues and things? And the group may not be comfortable with that. Sure. And, and, you know, feel free to pitch it to them, too. too. You know, like, I I feel like, you know, it's a a survival-based story. You Mm -hmm. know, you don't really go gallivanting around the Badlands and stuff like that. The Badlands itself is a villain you must kind of thwart. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the way you thwart that is through careful resource management and stuff like that. And I'd like to tell that story. Are you in? Yeah. You know? and, and it was one of the things that I had skipped over in my D&D game, mm-hmm. moving you guys across the desert. I made the scarcity very light. Yeah. I made it a, a, a presence that was there, but I never addressed it with you as a group. I mm-hmm. never made it something that was a serious concern. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something that you guys could handle and role play as you felt through. But other than that, it wasn't going to cause like major issues. Sure, sure, sure. You sure. know, exhaustion was there, but only because you decided to push on. You know what else was there? Sandworms. Yes. Because there always has to be sandworms. It's a giant sandbox. You, you got to have sandworms, right? <laughs> <laughs> Do you, do, you, do, you, do you have to have sandworms, though? I, I had to have sandworms. You had to have sandworms. I had to have sandworms. You had to have sandworms. I did. So let me talk about one of my experiences that I thought was really good about Minutia, because it isn't addressed like Minutia, and that is Battletech. Oh, yeah, okay. Battletech, most people don't think about it as a role-playing game. I think about it as a role-playing game, because every single time I've ever sat down to play it, my brain is immediately latched into myself being inside of that cockpit, and everyone else being there, too, and making it very cinematic and thematic, and, you know, talking through the whole thing. It isn't just a tactical board game. Oh, no, 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 no. I'll, I'll back you on that. I mean, one of the one of the longest campaigns I ever ran in was a Battletech campaign. Exactly. We, we role-played the same characters, went on contracts, ran our own merchant yeah. company. So, for me, it's always been that way, and one of the things that I think, especially the new Battletech, really outlines well, but the previous ones did as well, was that there were levels of play. And you could adjust those levels of play pretty much as you wanted to, and add in components about minutia. Now, one of the big things that they deal with it that's a major part of play is you're using a battle mech that has armor and weapons and heat management and movement and there are gradient levels of things that you do there that add to that minutiae you know where normally it's a matter of okay i'm shooting this gun which may or may not use ammo so do i have to track that ammo that's up to the group if you want to do that. That's a level of minutia that you could add. And then on top of that, you could say, okay, if I get shot in a certain area, will that ammo, if I still have some there, explode? And if it does, that'll do more things. Mm-hmm. Likewise, if I fire a gun, I'm going to cause heat. If I'm running and firing that gun, is it hotter? If I'm in a certain area, meaning like we, we, we landed on a hot planet, am I managing it at a different level? You know, do I have to worry about shutting down or overriding my shutdowns? Yep. So these things add a level of stress and extra calculations to that tactical feel of that game that it already has. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, adds that level of realism. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in a relatively unrealistic world. So in that case, it still kept me from gritty realism because it wasn't... I'm trying to deal with the police coming by my house at 3 o'clock in the morning because someone shot a gun outside my house. That's someone being me shooting at a raccoon, you know, kind of a thing. (laughs) But it's, I'm in a battle mech, almost overheating. This guy is going to be firing a giant salvo of something at me, and I want to get that last shot in to stop him, you know, kind of a thing. And that's where you it, it did a good job as a system of layering that so that players could easily see, hey, you can enjoy the game here or here or here 
or here. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you even had an experience beyond that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, we, like I said, one of the longest game running games that I was ever in was a, was a Battletech campaign. Uh, we played this in high school and uh, uh, ran our own mercenary company, took us on several contracts, gallivanted around the universe, got involved in the clan wars, all that jazz. Um, and uh, I, me and a couple other people actually ran the mercenary company, like full on did the books for the business. Um, so on top of the, and, and we did, we, we played with like the expert level rules where, you know, like we would land on a hot planet and it was like plus three heat every turn. Um, you know, yes, running and shooting is hotter than just standing and shooting, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, and I ran a, uh, a Banshee, a Banshee 3S, um, which ran hot already because it didn't have double heat sinks. Right, right. And I did that specifically because I loved running my mech hot and I wanted the challenge. I wanted to see if I could keep up with the big boys with a, with a, with a poorly built mech, you know? Um, but, uh, at the time Fossa had come out with a book called the, uh, Field Guide Mercenaries and it had explicit in-depth rules for, uh, negotiating mercenary contracts, um, salvage, remuner- remuneration for various costs like transportation, ammunition, and whatnot, um, signing bonuses and all that jazz. And you could actually go through. And they had a system basically worked out where you would bid back and forth with the the uh, the person giving you the contract and work out these little details and see what it would come out to at the end of the day, because you're not always negotiating for just money. As a mercenary, you know, sometimes you want a little bit of money, but you want to be able to keep what you kill because the enemy might have fancy battle mechs, mm-hmm. you know, so you might get a small paycheck, but you might get three new mechs out of it, which can range into the 12 million a piece, you know, nothing 20 says, million for nothing says selling those on a market, sell them, hell, keep them. Well, depends on what you're going to do. Sell off your old ones. Keep Ex- the new well, ones. Say, it's, it's still money one get, way or the get other. Some upgrades. Yep. Um, but, uh, so we really, like, we really enjoyed doing that. Um, and the main reason, I mean, nobody likes bookkeeping, you know, nobody likes playing a, you know, playing an accountant, essentially. I'm gonna disagree on that, but we'll get to there. But, but what I will say is the reason we had so much fun with it was because we found it changed the story so drastically. It changed our tactics on the battlefield so drastically. Um, so we would do things like, um... You know, we would negotiate for uh, for salvage rights. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we can basically keep anything we kill on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Well, now we're not trying to total our opponents. Right. We're not trying to core out their reactors. You're trying to leg somebody. We're trying to leg them. We're trying to headshot them because a little duct tape, a lawn chair, and a joystick, <laughs> and that thing is in working order again. <laughs> just just take a mop and bucket to yes. the uh, the inside of the cockpit. We'll solve a, that. Give me a garden hose. Yeah, and, well, and you know that's that's the elementals came into a lot of play in that. Yeah. like I'm just going to carve this guy to the cockpit because I've got a little power yeah, suit. I'm just going to hop up on his thing. I'm just going to carve open his, his cockpit. I'm just going to fire my little laser in there, and we're done. Yep. And now now there's no pilot. <laughs> we essentially lobotomize the mech, you know. Um, but uh, but but it really it changed our tactics, you know. And not mm-hmm. only did it change the tactics on how we went out, like trying to um, capture our enemy in working condition, because that was less stuff we'd have to repair later. But it also changed our con our, our stuff when like we realized we didn't have 
a resupply, mm-hmm. you know, and we were keeping strict tra- track of ammo and like mm-hmm. our catapult is nearly out of missiles. What are you going to do? What You're just not going to bring it. No. What good is a catapult that doesn't have missiles? It's going to get three shots and then it's going to be useless, you know? Those bunny ears need to be loaded. So now your your artillery support suddenly isn't in the game anymore and they mm-hmm. need to be piloting a different battle mech. Maybe they're not as good in that battle mech. Right. I had a... One of our one of our, our team had to go out in a marauder that was missing an arm one fight. Oh, yeah. Because we just didn't have the stuff to repair it. Mm-hmm. We didn't have any of the salvage. We didn't have enough armor to put back on it, even if we could reattach the arm. Mm-hmm. The enemy was closing in on us, you know, yep. drastically changed our tactics. And all because we decided, you know, let's let's get a little gritty with this one. Yep. You know, and those stories never would have been told if we'd have just been like, okay, we're just going to throw it on a mat and throw it on some battle mats and, and fight. Yeah. And it, it completely changes the feel. And mm-hmm. that's that's kind of where we're focusing on here is that these systems these these edges that throw in a little bit more should always be something that adds to the enjoyment yeah, yeah i mean if your players don't enjoy that combat now takes longer or tactically it takes longer to get set up for something mm-hmm. and they're and they're literally getting disconnected from the game then it's not adding to it. Yeah, it, it's detaching. Yeah. Now, I will say there is nothing to say that single players, and this is kind of where I was coming back here, like no one likes to keep spreadsheets. I was in a game where one of the players was the gearmonger, mm-hmm. and they freaking loved it. Sure. And you watched them pour over every little detail of what spell components came out. Like literally they were, I, I got a very clear image when I played that game with them that they were like the, um, uh, the ferret kind of character who was sitting there rifling through bags and speaking in a little tongue, you know, and being, and being like, oh, this is lovely. I shall put this over here. And, you know, and going through everything until they had everything broken out to a perfect level so that they knew exactly where everything was and how it was going to assist everyone. And they knew what they had at all times. This is This is a person who, if they had a bag of holding, would always know every item that was in it to be able to retrieve it at a moment's notice. Mm-hmm. They may not be there for the tactics of the game. They may not be there for the combat of the game. They may not be there for the the socialism of the game. They throw those elements in. But that player, the player, not even the character, the player loved the minutia. And it was neat to watch the DM literally have a side game going with them. Mm-hmm. Almost. Where, like, the game was rolling, they were throwing in their kibbits, they were doing their things. But when it came down to loot, they knew exactly what that player wanted. And worked with them, and it was wonderful. At now, from an ex, you know, from an external perspective, going back to those days, I'm like, I understand what that person was doing. He was giving them the game that that player it, wanted exactly, and that's that's what I was just about to touch on was was the whole the, the fact that he was doing he was just giving them the game they were looking for exactly. And really, any storyteller should be doing that. Yep, know what your players like and cater your story to them. <laughs> you know, but Espe- I think especially when you're narrating just to them. Correct. You know? Correct. I mean, you you do the the personal uh, character narration you very well, where you describe something to the Norse, you know, about how cold it is, and you explain that it's balmy, you know, and yeah. that you might want to, you know, shrug. That the rest of you will feel a chill run down your spine as goose flesh ripples over your your exposed <laughs> uh, your exposed uh, arms, and uh, you know your your nose begins to just tingle a little bit at the beginnings of of the frost nipping at it. Rigar, it's a it's a little chilly in here. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's balmy. You yeah, know, it's, yeah. The the humidity is a little it, high. This is this is this is this is whether you might consider putting on a long sleeve shirt. Yeah, you'll want to <laughs> brush your beard later. Yeah, you know, kind of a thing. 
and 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 it's those kinds of things that that also lend themselves to it. I think one of the things that Knox brings up very interestingly, which I think we both struggle with trying to describe, is how do you handle that as a storyteller mm. who likes the minutia to players who don't? Yeah, and I, I can honestly say it's I can try and come up with some good help there and ideas. But honestly, it's a struggle in my mind. And I would say still, just like the storytellers who like telling darker tales mm-hmm. or who like going for more of the um, sneaky, backstabby worlds where almost every person that you talk to is a semi-gray character who's just in it for the money or power or something. Sure. And sure. those kind of things. Sometimes you have to scale those stories differently for the players. And change a little bit of the flavor, give them a light in the darkness so that they feel safe a little bit and or find the right group to play to. Because there's there are literally an unlimited number of players out there who are willing to play games and there is bound to be a group that will enjoy the style of story you're going to tell. Yeah. The yeah. trick is displaying it in a way that those people suddenly go. You know, I really wasn't thinking about fantasy, but this guy just brought up the concept of there including encumbrance and gear and ammo, and really this is a game about scarcity. I want to play this. Why? I don't know, but there's part of me that really wants to know if I can make it across that desert. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, like, now you have players who are very interested in making it across the desert that doesn't have giant worms, that just has sand dunes and a whole lack of water. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, one one of the best times I've ever had uh, playing Skyrim. I think I've I think I've told this story on the, on the show before. Is uh, when I installed a mod called Frostfall, which takes temperature and mm-hmm. uh, dampness into yeah. into account. So, like, yeah. if you go into a river, you are considered wet. Yeah, and that changes how your character handles heat entirely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you can like die of hypothermia with mm-hmm. this mod in there. Um, mm-hmm. and then I also included realistic needs, which gives which makes you need uh food, water, and sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, all, all those things will uh, start slowly affecting like your health and stamina regeneration, mm-hmm. and then kill you yeah. I- afterwards if you don't tend to them. You know, right, right, right. Um, and one of the best times I've ever had. You know, I mean, I, I, you can do all sorts of stuff to become overpowered in Skyrim. You know, uh, with enchanting and alchemy and whatnot, you can make bows that one-shot dragons. You know, and stuff. Uh, and with these mods in there, though, like I wasn't afraid of the dragons. I wasn't afraid of the wolves or the trolls or the mm-hmm. bandits that yeah. I would run across. I nearly died trying to walk from yep. Winterhold to Windhelm. Yeah, in our uh, environmental storytelling, you kind of you retold that tale. And just the idea of that, that it wasn't yeah. part of the... In, it wasn't part of the actual plot or, or, or even random NPCs that was killing you. Yep. It was literally just surviving. I just made the rule that I wasn't going to fast travel and that I was going to play according to the world, and mm-hmm. the world nearly killed me. Yeah. And uh, I stumbled sopping wet because I missed a jump and landed in in uh, in the bay, mm-hmm. um, uh, right at the docks in Windhelm. Like I was, I was in the home stretch. Already just bone chilled, cold. The vision was blurring. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, like my stamina just straight up wasn't regenerating anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I I missed a jump and I landed in the water mm-hmm. and like instant hypothermia. Yep. And uh, I remember finally finding a large enough fire I could warm myself by. Yep. And just the victory, mm-hmm. the absolute victory. I hadn't I hadn't I hadn't gotten a new treasure. Mm-mm. I hadn't killed, conquered a dungeon, uncovered a hidden secret, mm-hmm. hadn't slain a dragon. Hadn't advanced the plot at all. No, I walked from one town to another, mm-hmm. and I made it. Yep. 
<laughs> yeah. I, I think uh, to step off of this a little bit, uh, Overwatch has an interesting point because we were just talking in chat about um, the minutia and bringing it around and, and what's good. And he said, uh, I use descriptive language to hook them into minutia. Uh, in if they ignoring it, but it's still in the campaign, and that is, after combat, you check and reload all your weapons. You've got a handful of spare magazines left, but another fight, and you'll be fighting them with knives. Ooh. That's a good way of... It's, it's, it's almost like a warning shot yeah. at that point. It's almost like saying, okay, okay, you ignored it last fight, and that's fine, because mm-hmm. you had the resources to be able to ignore it, mm-hmm. but I've noted... Yeah. That resources are getting thin, and I'm letting you know that. Yeah, and I yeah, think... That's a nice way of doing it. I, I think that's another thing that uh, D&D kind of does well when you don't give them the option for a short rest. Uh-huh. Because that changes all kinds of player oh, gameplay and makes it more gritty. Even that simple thing, mm-hmm. even if you're not playing with the other stuff, that right there terrifies people. Oh, yeah. In fact, that, that's just something that happened recently in Critical Role. The, mm-hmm. the, the big bad guys paid them a visit like six hours into their eight-hour-long rest mm-hmm. and just didn't ambush them, didn't even fight them. They yeah. were just woke them up yeah. and disturbed them enough that they yeah. couldn't get enough sleep through the night. Yep. So none of them got their spell slots back. Yep. And then the big bad guy was just there, and he was like, we're going to hang out for a while until I figure out what you guys are up to. Mm-hmm. And they were making all sorts of plans. You could see their minds racing, and they were panicking because here's the big bad guy, and they don't have any spell slots. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's one of the things that I was uh, that I started to look into is where, where people were doing this. And one of the things that was a glaring thing was just telling the players, like, oh, you're entering the town, and there's a festival going on. Uh, so you go to stay, you, you know, you try and find a, an inn, and eventually you do find one. It's kind of near the center of town. It's right in the heart of the entire festival. Really nice place, generally. So during the day, it's lively outside. There's all kinds of stuff you can find. There's vendors and stuff. It's great. Uh, and they're like, great, so we're going to go do our stuff. We're going to come back. So they come back to the town. They're like, yep, town is still partying. This festival is still going on. Great, we're going to go get some sleep. You can't get a full night's sleep. Yeah. The best you can do is a short rest. Everybody give me a wisdom saving throw. Yeah. Just to see if you can tune it out. They're like, well, I, I don't sleep. I only need to meditate. You can't. You can't even reach your elven meditation. Every time you you do, you start you start getting into that zone. Fireworks start going off. Yeah, there's this really catchy tune outside. Drunk sorority looping. girls start singing a, you <laughs> exactly. know. Exactly. Sweet Kara. <laughs> yeah. And literally you're bopping your yep. head while doing your elven meditation. You're trying to meditate and you're like, bop, bop. Oh, so, damn it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and I was just like, oh, that's... And it was subtle. Yeah. Like, the players didn't recognize that that's what they did, but they were yeah. like, oh, no, this is going to ruin everything. We camped in downtown Vegas. Oh, God, guys. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, great town. Great stuff to go there. Don't want to don't wanna be there. Yeah. Like, can we move out of town tonight? There's no place to move out of town. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to go, you're going to go out of town an hour off the road and set up a campsite just so you can get eight hours of sleep. It'll be midday by the time to, we got to go. Oh no. Mm-hmm. But they were able to get like a short rest and literally leave town as quickly as possible. That's awesome. Yeah. That's absolutely awesome. We have some good questions. Yeah. We I kind of want to hit these. Got some really good questions. So let's, let's, let's go ahead and let's get, get Pick into one. those here. Uh, I'm just going to start right at the top. Okay. Um, so, Knox in the Box uh, toss one at us. It seems like every time uh, I want to wrap a project up, the minutia of the finishing touches always clashes with either my time or my drive. As far as storytelling goes, would you always uh, should you always cover your bases, or do you think it's actually beneficial to leave the minutia vague and let the players project upon it? Could this go wrong or be less fun? Um... 
So for me, uh, I kind of find that it's more of a drive of details um, than making, you know, and as you get into diving those details, you end up kind of writing a novel instead of playing a role-playing game. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I like the idea of my players discovering things and finding it. So as they find something that they're interested in, they're going to go down that route. Now, I'm going to have some short notes to start that. So it's basically going to be like one or two lines. But I'm not going to have every single NPC motivations and directions flushed out. I know what my big bad guy would relatively do. And I say relatively do because I basically have two lines that describe my big bad guy and their general plan. I don't say when it's going to happen. I don't say how it's going to happen beyond that. Because I want my players to come up with where they're going and how that's going to affect it in the end. Sure, and you want to be able to throw to, to leave landmines of drama in front of them to Correct. tell the story. And then I can throw in, wherever I want, the pieces of detail that yes. I find most important that they need to know about. So for me, I would say, yes, I leave the minutiae quite vague until it becomes something that they're interested in. If my players come up with the idea that, oh, you know, uh, you know, I, I basically let them know, like, hey, you guys know that the big bad evil guys got their army getting ready to take on the castle. Like, well, we got to get around that because we've got to get to the other side and take out that commander mm-hmm. to be able to stop the, you know, stop that war from happening. Okay, well, I mean, you guys could sneak through the battlefield, um, you know, or in like, well, we could we take the mountain pass or something to go around it? You could. So now my brain goes to, we now have a survival game. Mm-hmm. So I, I can just quickly shift gears and go into the minutia of them trying to survive getting through the mountain pass. Yeah. You know, and pulling the Lord of the Rings like we should have gone through the Mines of Moria instead. Yeah, you know, yep, 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 yep. kind of moment. But at the same time, like... a mine. Um, but, but that's for me to be on the lighter side of. I never want to have the entire minutia done. Mm-hmm. I always want to give them that option. Yeah, yeah. I no, I, I agree um wholeheartedly. Uh I think if you want to impress your own details on people uh and and, and tell the story that you want to tell, mm-hmm. you should just write a novel. Yeah. Um leave the details vague uh and just let the players tell you what value they found in it. Yeah. You know. Um if a player glomps onto a an NPC, mm-hmm. then tell a story about that NPC. Mm-hmm. Clearly they like that NPC and they want to know more. Yeah. You know, give give them what they want. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously, you've got a bigger story that you're trying to drive for. I'm not saying abandon all of your notes the moment they take yeah. take a shine to the to the shopkeeper or something like that. But, you know, with, with, within reason, you know, if they if, if if one player, you know, like you discussed earlier, that the aspects of the story they like are the little minutiae, maybe focus on those little minutiae, the little survival aspects and stuff like that. Not enough that it bogs the entire group down, but enough that it allows that player to feel involved and have that one thing that they like. Yeah. One of the you things know? that uh, that just triggered in my mind was someone saying that if you're someone who tends to write novel-based RPGs where you have a complete story from beginning to end, like you know what your play- you want your players to follow, write it. Like write the whole timeline, write the whole thing, and put a protagonist in it. Pick some, make somebody up, make a knight, make somebody who's going to do that, right, from beginning to end. Then put them in your game and let your players figure out where they fit in around it. Mm-hmm. They may go somewhere else. Keep that story going. Focus in your mind that that story is continuing. That protagonist is doing those things. Mm-hmm. Your players are in the same world. There's nothing to say that they can't affect it. 
Yeah. There's nothing to say they're not going to run back across that protagonist who is now no longer a lieutenant, who is now a captain, who's found these things out and is telling it to them, you know, and may need their help to go find this other artifact while they go take care of a problem. Like, now you have a story. Yeah. You've got a direction with minutia and detail, and that big bad guy is not focused on your players, but on him. And it was like, okay, that's a great idea. So what do you do? You have him die. You have him fail. And then these players who have been walking in his footsteps the entire time now are feel invested and go, we got to finish what he started. We, we know what's going on here. Yeah. Oh, shit. And you make a decision. But that's a good way to to twist your own mind as a storyteller and say, you can tell complex stories. Just let your players run alongside of them. Here's something uh, something one of our Patreons, Veteran, will, uh, will appreciate. Knox puts in the live chat, excuse me, we need to send this little NPC to college again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Actually, uh, both uh, Vedran and um, uh, um, Sibek. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, both know that storyline. I, I, I think sometimes I wish we we just we need to open up a Discord and force people to tell those stories. Like yes. you are forced to tell the story Agreed. here. Just sit them down and just be like, Look, you have to tell us now. You cannot leave. You cannot have hot pretzels until <laughs> you tell the story. That's right. Because so people typing. people need to know these stories exactly. Because I, I think that's important. All right, let's get another question. All right, so uh, Patreon Hulavu asks, uh, can you give us some ideas for balancing the table when one or more players is focused on the story and wants to ignore the minutia, and other players are focused on the gameplay and are very interested in all the minutia? So like I was saying, I was in a group where they were totally focused on gear and components and followers, and one of the fighters actually picked up a small militia of followers, and... The DN ran it just like it was fine for everybody, but they had literally one player who was looking at all of the details and kept track of those details. And it was it was interesting that I look back on it now almost like the way like you would extra you would explain to the thief of the group the intricacies of the lock. Sure, sure. And it's sure, their sure. own little game. Or like if you're in Shadowrun playing the the net attacks and things like that to your decker or yeah. your hacker um so that it is their own little game within the game they're playing the mini game uh-huh. you know, D the mini game if you will to get those pieces out of it but to see the joy that that person was pulling out of it they had their stresses they had their drama they were concerned about things just as much as the other players yeah in in fight situations so there's totally ways to do uh side stories there uh, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And, uh, but I, I, I think I, at least for me, when you're, when you got kind of a mixed group like that, it's important to focus on what the majority of your players want, um, typically, but I would, I would tend to opt for focusing on the story versus focusing on the minutia. Cause I find it's, it's easy to add minutia, um, but it's very difficult to pull it back out again once you've, once you've made it the focus, like, right. Um, you don't get to like start with, okay, you know, everybody we're using encumbrance rules and we're using, uh, you know, strict ammo counts and, you know, keep, keep track of your gold down to the very copper piece. And then three games later, start hand waving stuff and just say, oh, it's cool. It's fine. Right. You know, cause your players are going to be like, wait, wait, hold on. We're getting kind of whiplash here. Is it, is it fine or is it not? You know, exactly. Say if you set a rule. You should stick by your rule, because otherwise people are going to question 
whether your rules mean anything. Right, right. So I think it's you very... are the game master. Play by your own rules. Exactly, exactly. And it's it, it's we've said it before. It's about offering a consistent experience. So I think it's easier to offer that consistent experience when you are starting light and then adding heavier elements and you can add those heavy elements selectively like you said right. uh, earlier where you've got that one player who wants to handle mm-hmm. minutia so the storyteller just tells their general story and then when it's when he's mm-hmm. narrated to that character mm-hmm. he says okay you've got 50 of these 25 of these 30 of these and exactly. seven of those yep. yep all right awesome i'm putting them in the spreadsheet cool you're handled for a little bit and you're smiling i'm gonna tell the rest of the story now you know yep um but ultimately it comes down to communication at your table, you know, tell them why, tell them why you, you are handling things a certain way. You know, for example, like I want to keep the story lighter and faster for the benefit of the table and not get bogged down in the little stuff. We can just say you have enough ammo or food or water or whatever else is being micromanaged. And I've said this before to you guys, when you've asked about minutia in my game, and that is you're all experienced adventurers. And I assume that you just have the stuff that you're specifying. Right. You would not have left without enough rations. Well, and the other thing is, is that there are times when you can add, uh, you can add concern, like Chris did, um, where you're 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 adding a level of of things. So, for instance, if you're talking about a situ- a, a scene where your players are thrown overboard and they don't have their gear, mm-hmm. that's not getting into minutia. That's setting a tone yeah. for a scene. If your players are, you know in a cell and you can say you don't have your weapons and armor great you're not getting into minutia but you're playing up the drama of the moment Mm -hmm. and i think that's where you can be a little more flexible with certain aspects of it because you're letting the narrative speak to the feel in the scene and then when they get their gear they have their care yep you know just make sure that you're not piecemealing them along the way and making them work through the minutia yep yep absolutely. unless you intend to continue it from that point forward right so uh all right uh, so Overwatch asks, yep. um, what single example of minutia tracking do you think is a high effect on the feel of a given game setting or session? Is this something that could be utilized for dramatic effect in your storytelling kit? Um, I'm going to quickly just put out the fact that like uh, Battletech does a good job of that. I mm-hmm. think it. I think as a system, it helps you build drama and stress through its mechanics. And the build of those mechanics. Oh, absolutely. And that absolutely. the minutia within that helps that. I think that Shadowrun does that as well. That the more minutia you put into it, the more you get out of it. Uh, and it creates its own sense of tension that then you don't have to add other elements in the game. Your players are focused on those simple elements of survival and, you know, trying to figure out where their next meal or protection or ammo or whatever is coming from. Like, you know, I'm sorry, you guys lost your firearms because they got taken from you going through the checkpoint. And now you're being gunned down by a group on the other side of the checkpoint who were waiting for you to lose your weapons. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And your player pulls off a boot and throws, you know, the troll pulls off his boot and throws it at a guy because it's literally a 15 pound boot <laughs> and he's a troll and it can knock somebody the hell out, which it did. Right, 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 right. So a uh, legitimate story scene that yep. happened uh, on the way into an elven forest. We, we was just going to say that sounds yeah. oddly specific. It was exceptionally specific. <laughs> uh, Overwatch tells the story much better than I do, but it was incredible incredible scene and uh worked out really well uh and, and made my squishy uh decker very squishy <laughs> yeah because yeah, yeah. i was not ready for that um but at the same time like those are the kinds of moments that you can layer into games when you have minutia control mm-hmm. and uh and you have an understanding with your players the level of minutia that you're dealing with um 
I think that 7C does a good job of that, that, at least in my games, where I'm just like, you're not, unless you master reloading, you're not getting off another shot on your pistol in this fight. Mm-hmm. You're, it's gonna, you're, you're, you're firing and forgetting. Yeah. You that, know. that was actually going to be my, my answer to this question is yeah. that my, my personal one, if, if I could choose one bit of, bit of minutiae to track, um, in a gritty realism sense, it's always going to be ammo. Um, cause I think like so often we go with that John Woo style of limitlessly, limitless ammo gameplay. Yes. Um, and I just, I think that like, and this is going to be a very D and D centric answer. I think, sure, uh, sure. but but I mean it's primarily what I play. Um, but I think that cheapens the game for like players of like spellcasters or other like limited use, mm, true, limited true, resource true. characters. Um, you know the 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 spellcasters all have to worry about their spell slots, but yet you're offering um, unlimited ammunition essentially to the ranger right. who can put out just as much, if not more, consistent damage than you can. You right, know? right. Um, and so I I think. Keeping track of ammunition like that is 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 super valuable because it makes every shot feel like it counts all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Um, and losing like losing a crossbow bolt doesn't feel like a tactical decision when you've got a quiver full of them, but it sure as heck feels very tactical when you're down to your last two. Right, and you're like, oh, I don't know, like, what do I do from here? The you Hawkeye know? moment. Yeah, you you start having that moment of like, okay, can I? Can I start picking some up off of dead enemies? The nearest dead enemy to me is 10 feet away, but that Mm -hmm. means I've got to make a move next turn. It might even be an action to pick up another crossbow bolt. So then I'm not, you know, you start making tactical decisions off of that. Right, Um, right. Now, the other thing, too, is it makes special ammunition feel less fiddly. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you might have a few, like, special or magical arrows, or, like, if you're playing a high-tech game, you might have some, like, hollow points or armor piercing or, you know, various other rounds. Um, if you're already keeping track of ammo, it doesn't feel like a non-sequitur to keep track of your special ammo. No, it fits right in. Right. So now you're like, okay, so I have, you know, armor piercing rounds in this clip. Three clips of regular ammo. Yeah. One clip of hollow points, yeah. one clip of armor piercing. Right. You know? And now suddenly it all it all feels right consistent across the board. Yeah, I, I liked when you would uh, your character would have you know their three clip belt, and the question was, what do you start with? What ammos do you what ammo do you clip in first? Uh-huh. And the answer is, well, I clip in my cheapest, which is my gel rounds, because my initial the initial guys that I'm going to be spraying down. I just want to put them down. I, I don't need to kill them. Mm-hmm. I just need them out of the way, and that's going to do care. And then you you know, you know get into the fight, and the first thing that you have to do is literally rip out that clip and throw in your armor piercing because it's heavy guys who are at the front door, yep. and they are not going down from gel rounds. Yep. <laughs> and, and you know, again, that's a tactical decision of, like, it's, this is going to be two rounds of me pulling out the old ammo, putting in the new ammo, cover me. Yeah, exactly. Because I'm the heavy gunner. Like, yeah. I'm, I, I need two rounds. Right. You or, guys just just live two rounds, and I'll win the fight for us. Or mixing your two guns that you have, so yeah, you've got yeah, yeah. one with one and one with the other, you know. And now you've got to determine yourself, you know, how are you going to spray? You know, yep. what gun are you going to shoot with? Yep. So yep. yeah. Um, one other question that came up that was from um, I think Knox was um, and, and it's it's a little off, but I think it uh, off of this topic, but I still think it's a good question for tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, was uh, though I don't know the details, I heard that Dread has a number of questions to make players think about the shape, their character's backstory, and personality. I don't know Dread, you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I get the feeling here. Are there any other systems with unique questions or concepts that feel in, uh, you feel inspire players during character creation? Totally. Totally. There's uh, 7C did a um, 
literally has a character build that uses uh, a questions type system. Now yeah. they they yeah. used a uh, literally a tarot style draw to build your character, which would create backgrounds and everything else in it mm-hmm. as well. So you could mm-hmm. completely build your character concept off of that and work from it. Um, I think that the standard 20 questions is a great way to go, um, although that now has expanded heavily and, and moved across multiple systems and embedded been embedded in them as, oh, a, yeah. as, a, as a mainstay. Um, City of Mist's characters are 100% built off of who are you? Oh yeah, yeah. Your they power sets. Are. Everything is 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 a question and a statement. You know, how does your power manifest under stress? Yeah, and that's it's um, literally a question for how to build your character. I think uh, what I what I said was uh, uh, City of Mist felt like um, powered by the apocalypse and fate got together and had a baby. Yeah, very much. And so. that baby was City of Mist because my answer was fate. Um, does all of that with the character bonds mm-hmm. um, during character creation, and in fact, you you tell little stories about how your characters met and yeah. adventures they've had together. Yeah, and those become aspects on your character sheet. You would literally get like you know uh, attributes, I suppose, off of them or bonuses or something. Yeah, well, I mean, a- aspects are really difficult to define as to exactly what they are. I suppose they're they're kind of abilities, but sure. not really. But they're they're part of your character. Like they become a functional thing you use during gameplay. Yes. Yes. Um. So it's not even just building your backstory, but you you gained an experience from that. Right. And you that learned ex- a lesson, and that experience can be used in-game. Correct. And that's that's what I think is really interesting. Uh, and then Dungeon World was the other one that I wanted to talk about where it was uh, dealing with bonds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where yeah, yeah. I loved the bond system. When I first, I mean, Dungeon World was one of those first steps of like, oh, that's a neat way of handling opening character bonds. Like, uh-huh. how did you meet? How do you know each other? What does this person... Why do you respect this person? And what secret do you know about this person that you keep between the two of you? What is the thing that this person does that you're going to one day give them their comeuppance for? Yeah. You know, why do you owe this person mm-hmm. a favor? You know, oh, shoot. You know, and so now you've got these questions that are not only that are not only giving you a bond between the other player, but creates a history. Yeah. Something to talk about. Yep. And I love that kind of stuff. I, I, I think... That needs to be in itself a large part of the game, but that also speaks to those systems and what those systems are trying to do for creating characters versus just having a character in the world. Yeah, yeah. So uh, one other system I know of that I want to mention real quick, but I I don't know a lot about it. We do have a system spotlight coming up for, for which it? one? Traveler. Yes, we do actually have that one coming. Uh, up. We've, we've got it on the schedule. I don't. It, it, it may be a month or two. It's um, next month. Next oh, month. it is next I month. I think okay. it is next month. Um, but the character creation comp, uh, system is basically a career path thing, and it kind of goes in like four. I believe it's four year segments of your okay. life, and you can just keep adding them. Mm-hmm. And they add more skills. They add more life experiences and whatnot. Yeah. Um. But uh, I mean, you can actually outright die during character creation. If it, you... it, it definitely is a thing. So, but I th- actually, it's not next month. It will be, I think, the following month. I think we're looking at April for that, or April May. All right. But so. we are wrapping up though. Um. Our next week's topic is going to be dark fantasy campaign settings. How to have a little light in the grim darkness. <laughs> Uh, so you want to uh, you can find us on Twitter at st underscore conclave on Instagram at st underscore conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night at seven p.m. Eastern at mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave, 
and uh, join us on our Discord. You can find the link up on our Twitter as well as our website, StorytellerConclave.com. We'd like to thank our uh, Patreon members, Knox, Sam, The Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, and Veteran, as well as the rest of you. Thank you so much for helping us every week. It makes this show happen, and we uh, always encourage you to join us there where you can join us in our live chat and chat with us while we're doing this Mixelar. Uh, our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Gee Frog. You can find that at geefrogmusic.webly.com. And our outro music, which you're hearing now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that at soundcloud.com slash machine slash tracks. As always, a big shout out to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for supporting us. We love you very much. All of our friends who've sat with us at our tables over the years to give us these great stories to share with you and all of you, our mm-hmm. listeners. We love you so much. Love you. Good night. Good night.